Hey everyone, welcome to B2B Made Simple. I'm Sam Moss, the CEO and co-founder of One Click Agency. On this show, I interview marketing experts from fast-growing B2B SaaS companies. We feature podcast episodes I'm a guest on, and sometimes we throw in a consulting call I've done with another company. Our goal with this show is to equip you and give you the tools you need to be the best marketer you can be. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to B2B Made Simple. Joining me for a podcast, our podcast today, I have Russ Summers. He's the CMO at Litho. Uh, Russ, welcome to the show, man. Sam, it is so good to see you and thank you for having me. Absolutely. So I'm going to paint this picture for people that aren't listening or aren't watching the show right now, because a lot of this is a lot of times this is mostly audio. Um, you have what half a dozen guitars behind you. That's pretty cool. Well, I think total of 14 in the room, if you're counting bass guitars, dulcimers, mandolins, and other weird things, but yes. That's awesome. So a man after my own heart, uh, Russ, for sure. So we'll get along great during this podcast episode, just knowing that you're a a music guy like me. Excellent. (laughs) So to kick it off, I have a fun question for you. If you had to choose between Coke and Pepsi, what do you think you would choose? This is a really good question because I remember the Pepsi challenge, right? When they gave Pepsi to Coke drinkers and they actually found that they preferred it. So based solely on that dated ad campaign, I might actually go to Pepsi because it's the quality of the product that should matter. But now I'm going to flip flop and say that as a marketer, even though the product may be better with Pepsi, with Coke, their brand is so much more powerful and recognized that I'm actually going to switch camps and come down on the Coke side because that's really what this is about, how marketing has the power to take fizzy sugar water and make it highly, <laughs> highly valuable. One of the most valuable companies in the world. So, you know, you know, I've heard that narrative quite a few times from people that have asked that question too, because, you know, we're talking to marketers and they're like, man, you know, I don't really drink a lot of soda, but Coke, you have to go Coke. How can you not go with like the <laughs> brand that they built over the years? It's pretty impressive. So very cool. Taste wise, we're going to go with Pepsi. And then overall, as a marketer, we're going to go with Coke. I can, I can take that. Cool. <laughs> I like right. to have it both ways, Sam. You know how. Yeah, it is. there you go. There you go. Um, so let's let's jump right into this. You have a really cool marketing analogy called math versus magic, right? So can you just kick us off by breaking down what that is and what you mean by that? Sure. Um, and I'm going to go back to sort of the definition I use of marketing because mm-hmm. if you're going to do something, you have to have a definition. I've had this definition for about 20 years and it keeps getting shorter. It started as three paragraphs. Now it's one sentence. When I get it down to one word, I'll be ready to retire. But the definition is marketing is the art and science of calling people to action by influencing what they feel and believe. And to unpack that for a minute, then we'll come back to the math and magic, which is sort of the star part today. Art and science Marketing has both math and magic. My first marketing roles were data roles. I lived in Excel. I did not open PowerPoint or Adobe products. I lived in Excel for like five years in my first few gigs as a data analyst, right? Um, So there's the math that we always forget. There's the magic, there's the creative, there's the great ad campaigns. Those two things together are greater than the sum of the parts. Then the other elements of the definition, calling people to action. I'm not doing marketing just for fun. I'm doing it to get a result, to drive sales. Influencing, I can't tell people what to do. So marketing tries to influence them and change their perception. We do that by influencing what people feel and believe. And those are in order because the heart leads the head. 
even B2B buyers make decisions on emotion and justify with fact. Mm -hmm. But the core, just as you said, marketing is both math and magic. And that's what makes it a really fun discipline because I get to be super quantitative some days and super creative some other days. And that to me brings together the left and the right brain in a way that no other discipline does. Have you noticed yourself leaning one direction as you've progressed in your career or are you, you know, pretty much 50, 50 down the middle? That's a really good question. I think anybody that says that they're equally balanced probably lies. My early career experiences put me way more on the quantitative side, way more on the math side and the magic. I was like, yeah, that's just stuff. Anybody can make pretty pictures, you know? And the more I started understanding the results of campaigns, Sam, the more I realized the quantitative didn't fully explain it. We'd run two identical campaigns and one would absolutely rock the house and the other would fail. And when you regress it and go, what caused this? And do your root cause analysis, you go, okay, similar audience, similar audience sizes, similar offer. You know, the offer is a key part of marketing people often forget, but even that was similar. One had strong creative elements and the other one had creative elements that just didn't, didn't resonate. So over the course of my career, I'm firmly migrating from the quantitative camp into the creative camp. And do you think that's the progression that marketers should take, whether it's subconsciously or like intentionally? I think it depends on where you start. It's a really good question. Mm -hmm. Depends on where you start. I started quantitative, so I moved into the creative side. Mm -hmm. Flip side, if you come into it, let's say you come in from a creative role, whether a designer, a copywriter, whatever, you owe it to yourself if you're going to grow as a marketer to get out of your comfort zone and understand the metrics, understand the data. Because to truly be a good marketer, you've you're always going to have a preference and you're mm -hmm. going to be more at home in one side than the other, most likely, but you're going to have to master both yeah. to move up. So wherever you're starting, work on learning the other. Mm -hmm. So the theme of this uh, episode is really that creative, so the magic side, and then your lead gen, which is kind of your math side, need to be joined at the hip. Um, so can you just share why that's important with those two functions? It's, it's a good question. And those, if you look at any marketing team in B2B, a lot of times they're the teams that talk least. You've got, you know, your demand gen team running their keywords, doing their analysis of ads, you know, testing different ad vehicles, ad platforms, et cetera. And it's really easy for that team to view the creative as simply a box they've got to check. And if you do that, and it's really, really common, you end up with some ads that underperform and some ads that overperform, and you don't really know why until you analyze the creative. You think of the audience, you think of the message, and you think of, will this creative treatment resonate with that audience and drive action from them? So bluntly, two things will happen if you don't align your creative team and your demand gen team. Number one, you'll get results that are really hard to understand and below where they ought to be. And number two, you'll find yourself managing the creative side down just based on cost because you won't be valuing it as adding differentiation. And so you'll end up over time with, frankly, bad creative because you don't invest in it. Mm -hmm. So what do you mean by bad differ differentiation? Is it just because it's not this prioritized function or is there something else? Uh, yeah, yeah, good question. I'm glad you asked. Um, 
if you think about what makes marketing stand out, it is going to be the creative side. We all have access to the same technology. You and I can run Google ads the same as each other. You and I can, you know, subscribe, can, you know, use Marketo or HubSpot or Sixth Sense or what have you, just like the other. So there's, there's an arms race where everybody quickly comes up to parity and creative is where you have the chance to be different because nobody looks at an ad and goes, wow, I'm surprised this is being surfaced to me on this platform or via this ad network. Nobody looks at an ad and says that. Well, maybe I do, but I'm kind of weird that way. Most people look at it and go, when they look at a good ad, they go, wow, I would not have thought of that. This is making me see the world in the new way. And you can only do that with creative. That's not a technology play. Mm -hmm. That's a creative and an understanding your personas play. So when you're saying that we need to prioritize creative, um, because it's almost like this afterthought from the demand gen or the lead gen team, does that mean we can't outsource? Does that mean we need to completely be in-house? What's been your experience with that? Oh, good question. Because I've done it. I've done it all kinds of ways. I've yeah. used everything from the, what were they, um, design pickle of the world, which is like a provider of, you know, sort of outsourced creative services. I've had outsourced you know, team members, I am blessed with a really strong in-house team now, which I just love when I get to have. It's not necessary that it be in-house or outsourced, but it is necessary that they be briefed in on the desired output on what you're trying to drive with the ad, that they understand the personas, that they understand the message. So yeah, I've done it with outsourced people, but you need to make sure they're briefed in and in that respect, treated like a member of the team. Do you think that that's why there isn't this, or do you think that because we're used to outsourcing, right? A lot of creative, maybe in the early days of a startup or even, um, you know, another company that because we're outsourcing this creative, once we have a team, we're just used to saying, Hey, this is what we need made. And then we don't give any context to it. I think that's a piece of it. I, that certainly drives the behavior of, you know, literally when you're outsourcing, creative truly is a cost center. And so it certainly does drive the behavior of, I'm just going to tell you what we need, which can be okay, but it means that internally you need to have a strong creative vision at a minimum so you can guide guide your outsource team appropriately. Mm -hmm. So you brought up uh, that really the creative should be thought of as a business function. Why do you think that's important? Because it anything that drives differentiation and profit should be thought of as a business function. And in many ways, it's the most sustainable advantage one can have. Any advantage you have based on technology or funding, there will always be somebody with better tech or better funded than you. Mm -hmm. But when you can tell a better story and when you can convey that story visually in a way that resonates, it doesn't matter how big or small you are. This is how smaller startups can compete with giants by being more clever, being more innovative, being more provocative and more thoughtful in their creative. Mm -hmm. So let's say that there is a company out there that hasn't given this prioritization. Prior, prior <laughs> I don't even know that's a word. They haven't prioritized. <laughs> it is now, it is now. right? They haven't prioritized it. Uh, where, what should they do to start? Like, what does that process look like? Because it sounds great in theory, like, yes, you know, we need to get creative in the loop and actually think of them as a business function, but what does that look like in like everyday marketing life? 
That's a good question. It's a change over time because the first thing you need to do is get those two teams together and talking. So the first time you have creative and demand gen talking about results and metrics, something you will see if you don't provide proper support is your creative team will be kind of uncomfortable. They will literally say, I'm not quite sure what I'm doing here mm -hmm. um, if, you, if you don't steer them appropriately sometimes. And some you know, immediately get it, some don't, but you need to help them understand my job is to drive an outcome. I create content. I want to drive an outcome from that content. And the only way that you can do your best creative work is if you understand that outcome, if you're briefed in on what we're trying to do and how it will be measured. So the core more than anything else is to get people talking and to center it on the outcome. So you're going to have your brainstorming meetings that are super creative. What a great idea. We never thought of this. Hey, we're going to use a picture of a dog. It's going to be hysterical. People will love it, whatever it might be. But you've always got to come back to, and then what are people going to do? What's the desired outcome? And is this going to help us get there? What's interesting is creatives find that super empowering mm -hmm. once they start saying, we own metrics, we own delivery, we can show that we're doing work that moves the business forward. Mm -hmm. So you're saying they should own metrics as well as a creative team? Absolutely. They need to, you know, if, if you go to your creative leader and say, what was our best performing campaign last year? What was our worst performing campaign last year? What did we learn about our audience from the way we changed creative up during the year? They should, they should have answers to that. They should think about that. Mm -hmm. So when you have, you know, been implementing this, and creative is now a part of these campaigns. They know the outcome. I love how you frame that. They need to know the outcome, right? Mm -hmm. Have they been sitting down in some of your brainstorming sessions or whatever it may be? And they're like, what about if we did this differently? Because they have that big picture, like overview of what you're trying to accomplish. Exactly so, because suddenly they can bring their skills. I mean, creatives are the best problem solvers in the world, right? It's they're trained to look at something and think of not only all the things that are there, but all the things that could be and the possibilities. So you'll end up with better campaigns, better marketing themes by having them involved. Because a lot of times your creative team members are the ones that in the first part of that conversation might be a little quiet. And then they weigh in with something that completely changes the game because they're looking at it from a new perspective. So I don't know why any marketing team would want to rob themselves of that that ability to really stand out. Yeah, and you're totally robbing yourself of that ability if you're simply handing the creative team this project that says we need a graphic that has a dog on it, right? Yeah, sure. I mean, can they can they pull that off? Absolutely, right? Can, they're going to create whatever the graphic may be, but if they don't have the background on why that's there, they might have this great idea as to like what else should be there, some of the messaging, like whatever it may be, but if they don't have that overview, just like you stated, then they're kind of in the dark and they're just thought of as this, like you said, checking a box. Yeah. And that's in this world where we're exposed to so many messages throughout our day, you know, thousands of messages we see throughout the day, most of them we, we ignore. Any way that those can stand out and be unique becomes very, very valuable from a business perspective. Mm -hmm. You brought up earlier this phrase that we need to think of copy and design as a profit center, not a cost center. Um, why should that be our mindset? 
first off, because truthfully it is, I mean, your images and especially like the first few words of your copy are what actually determine if everything succeeds or fails. So they literally do drive profit. But the reason that I want us as marketers to be disciplined in thinking about that is if we're not, what do you do if something is not a profit center in your business, Sam? Then it goes to the back burner. It goes to the back burner. It's not prioritized. When you're funding it, you say not how much do I need to invest to get my results, but how little can I get away with investing? Mm -hmm. And a mediocre creative team with mediocre creative operations processes is going to drive mediocre outcomes. So instead, by thinking of it as a profit center, you suddenly go, what's the best team I can have? What are the best tools they can have to collaborate on their workflow, to collaborate with assets, et cetera? Suddenly you go, these are areas in which we need to invest rather than going to the lowest common denominator. Mm -hmm. And you know what? The best way that you can progress in your career as a marketer, if you want to continue to CMO one day or VP or even somewhere else on the board, if you're not thinking like a business person, if you're not thinking business metrics, if you're not talking to the C-suite with those sort of things, then you'll never get there. And this is the first place that you can have that mindset where it's, hey, what are business results that this can generate? And then communicating that, that's a great first step when it comes to, to being a marketer, right? Absolutely. And it forces you as a marketer to think as an investor as well. You find yourself saying, where should I invest in resources? What should I focus on how should I diversify my skill set? What are the people I need to bring on board, et cetera? Because it it just changes the game altogether from I have a budget and I need to spend it and I probably need to spend as little as possible into what should I invest in? Yeah, and that's I, I, this is gonna be a totally different podcast episode, but I'll just bring up like a point here. If you are a marketer, like take some time to actually learn some business skills because if you think about it, if you're leading a marketing team, you're running a small little business right there, right? If you, you're leading a team, you're, you're budgeting, you're, that's the finance side of things. And then, you know, a bunch of other things as well. But like the more you can understand business, the more you're going to progress as a marketer. And I digress on that because that could be a totally different podcast episode in itself. <laughs> but I, I do want to weigh in and amen on that because I, I couldn't agree more. And actually the progress of moving into marketing leadership. The process is often you start as a specialist who's really good at one thing. I was really good at pricing analytics, by the way. It's what I did. Um, And you start as really good at one thing. But over time, first you broaden your marketing skill set, but then you broaden your business skill set because really a marketing leader is a business person who happens to lead the marketing function. And the more you think of yourself as a general manager in any conversation, the better off you'll do because suddenly people respect that you have knowledge of the PNL. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so true. Um, well, Russ, let's go ahead and switch gears here. Uh, what I like to do now is hand the mic to my guest to give them an opportunity to ask me a couple questions before we close out here. So is there anything on your mind that you want to shoot my way? Yeah, I've been super curious about it. Um, I, you know, I love your podcast. I've, you know, been a listener of it. And I'm interested in when we talk about math and magic, making a podcast, this is part of the magic. This is part of the creative. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious to know what, how you think about making your podcast different and remarkable. 
this is what I do. So there are so many marketing podcasts out there. There really are a lot, mm -hmm. even in the B2B space. So it is slightly saturated, right? But one, like my goal is always to be different. So for example, I haven't heard many, if not any shows do a similar segment to like, Hey, let's switch up and ask each other questions. Right. Mm -hmm. I think I've heard one or two other podcasts do that. So that's, that's difference. Number one, on top of that, I have three to five marketers that I look up to that I know, listen to the show and consume my content. And when I am recording a podcast episode, I have them in the back of my mind. Right. And I'm thinking to myself, would they find this valuable or because they know me, are they just kind of listening and maybe they're going to gloss over this episode. So I am extremely conscious about like, who is listening to this? And are we delivering value and educational content every single time? Uh, because I think once you lose like the grasp on that, it could become a dry show. You don't mix things up very well. You don't try, you don't innovate. And then it's just going to get tuned out and people probably won't continue listening. So if you, if you have a show, for example, think about your ideal buyer, think about, you know, who you look up to that would be listening to the show that you would want as a guest. And if they find it valuable, if you're thinking, man, they would, they would probably listen to this, then you're on the right track. And then on top of that, another way that we're looking to continue just to like, keep it fresh is change up like the show format. So we have our interview format here that we release on Mondays. And then on Thursdays, it's kind of like our experimentation podcast. So I will throw out a podcast that I've been interviewed on, which is cool. Um, we'll do like an AMA where I answer questions from LinkedIn about marketing and do a podcast episode on that. I'm thinking about a brand new segment. And this is kind of like uh, crowdsourcing here. So if you are listening to this and you like the idea, let me know of basically finding really cool B2C marketing ideas that we see on TikTok or social media. And then doing a quick little five minute podcast on how awesome it was and how those companies interacted with their buyers and why B2B companies should be doing the same thing and kind of get like the creative juices flowing for people listening to the show. So that's how I think about it. And like, that's the, the creative side, the magic side, and just constantly be trying new things. And if it doesn't catch wind, then what are you out? It's, it's a podcast episode in the past. So that's the way I try to approach it. I love it. And what I love particularly, and this just gets to, it's just, frankly, it's just good marketing, almost everything you described there, right? Is thinking about your persona and then turning that persona into a person because persons are more powerful than personas. So the fact that you've got those, you know, listeners in your mind as will this show be of value to them and you obsess on that. That's fantastic. I love that approach. Yeah. And I do the same thing for LinkedIn content that I put out and any email that we sent. I really do think like, I, I know what's going to their inbox. They're on the list. And I think, man, would they open this and get annoyed or are they going to open this and read it? And that's seriously a thought that goes through my mind every single time. And I would encourage other people and other marketers to do the exact same thing. That is amazing. And I probably don't ask myself those questions enough. <laughs> so I'm really glad for the reminder. That's awesome, man. But any other question, uh, questions you want to shoot my way? Uh, that was the big one. I was just super curious about that. And um, oh, one other one, if you don't mind, podcasting is a cool business. How did you come into it? How did you get started? So the reason that we started a podcast was to create value for our buyers. So what we do is we do web development for B2B SaaS companies. And we thought, hey, this is a great medium for people to consume content where their peers, just like you coming on the show, have incredible information to share. So why not interview them? 
and create a content pillar that we can chop up and distribute on LinkedIn, in emails, um, and then obviously have our long form. So it was, it was a marketing strategy for sure. Uh, but where I heard about it, a really good book, it's called Content-Based Networking by James Carberry. Talks about how to launch a podcast, um, how to build relationships through it, and how to create really good content. So that's what we've kind of been basing this off of. Love it. And I love that you name check James because he is amazing. He is a really good He's person awesome. and yeah. an amazing podcaster and interviewer. So that's great. Yeah. Awesome. I didn't know you knew him. So that's awesome. Cool. All right. Well, James, uh, James. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would Russ. consider it an upgrade to be called James. I do like him. So, but yeah, he's actually, he was on the too. show probably a year and a half ago, but I'm not talking to James right now. So Russ, before we go, let's, let's, let's close this out by hearing your elevator pitch or your like your 30 second rundown on what you guys do at Litho. I, I'd love to hear that. Litho helps creative teams tame the chaos whether it's workflow in terms of getting a project briefed in, collaborated on, reviewed, approved, et cetera, or whether it's the storage and management of the digital assets and turning those into branded assets so your team doesn't have to rely on the creatives to create bespoke work they can create and publish right from the dam. We just help creative teams do better work and tame the chaos. That's awesome. And it ties right into what we were talking about today, which is very cool. Absolutely. Well, Russ, thank you so much, uh, much for joining me here on B2B Made Simple. This was awesome to have you on the show. And, uh, you know, we're gonna have to do round two here in the future. Okay. I would love that. Thank you so much. <laughs> yeah.